You're listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ, taken from the weekly homilies of interim pastor Michael Landsman. Good morning. So last week, we talked about how the world offers us rival liturgies that we find ourselves submerged in and how that leads to habits and practices being formed. Then we looked at 1 John 2, 15-17, and we saw how in that passage of Scripture, as well as in the temptation narratives of Jesus in the Gospels, we learned to not love the world because the temptations of the world are transient. That means they're passing away. It makes no sense then to pursue things that are passing away if they have no eternal value. And we talked about how St. John talks about three areas of temptation. The desire of the eyes, the desire of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we talked about how these three desires, well, those two desires and pride, that these are sort of markers, right, that we can use to see through the rival liturgies of the world that seek to turn our hearts away from God. And then we saw how Jesus' response, how he saw through the temptation of the devil was by his formation, right? He quotes scripture. He doesn't just come out of Mary fully formed. You know, he has to learn Torah. He has to learn the scriptures. And this happens at the synagogue. This happens at the feet of his mother. This happens at the feet of his parents. So then we ended last week with the question. I asked you for your homework, to do the homework, right? Like, I hope that the questions that I've been asking you, I hope that you've been asking them of yourself. But I asked you to, to sit down and think, how have the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life, how have those desires shaped who I am and what I love? How have the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life shaped who I am and what I love? I, I hope you ask yourself that question, because I asked those questions myself. And when I think back on the decisions I've made throughout my life, I can see, I can see how I made really bad decisions and turned my life and my loves towards something that was not good for me. Can I be vulnerable with you for a minute? <laughs> just, just once for a minute. Many years ago, when I still lived in uh, Florida, I pursued a relationship with a young woman, and it was not a good relationship. I knew it probably wasn't the best idea to get involved, but I did get involved anyway. And the reason why I got involved is because I was lonely. And you make bad decisions sometimes when you're lonely. The desire for love and to be loved made me unable to see through what was going on. And so I pursued this relationship and uh, ultimately uh, to an engagement. Uh, But then... Ultimately, some things happened, and I ended the relationship and was able to move on from it. But I learned some hard lessons there. And so I can see in my own life how my desires of the eyes, the flesh, and the pride of life, how they've shaped the decisions that that I've made myself. So now that we've been given the ability to be able to see through the rival liturgies of the world, through these rival 
practices that shape our, our habits and turn our hearts. What do we do next? It's not enough to have our awareness raised. We need to be able to take action. We need to be able to retrain our loves. They need to be reordered. In Matthew 22, 34 to 40, we heard this in the reading today. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked them a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Keep that in mind because we're going we're to come back to that in just a few minutes. So thinking about this, about this text, and about what we're going to be talking about, and what we have been talking about, I'm such a nerd, right? I'm a huge nerd. You've probably realized this about me right now, that I'm a massive, massive nerd. So I use nerdy things maybe to, to, to illustrate the things that we're, that we're talking about. So there's this little movie called Star Wars, the original one, right? And so in the movie, you have this old man, Ben Kenobi, right? And Ben Kenobi is trying to train Luke Skywalker in the ways of the Jedi. So if you don't know what a Jedi, what, what that means, they're sort of like space Buddhists with powers and, and laser swords. <laughs> Bear with me, all right? And so what happens is he's trying to get Luke to come with him, to join him, because all Luke knows is this desert planet. That's all he knows. That's all he's been exposed to. And all of his life, he's just been working on this desert planet. And Ben is trying to show him that there's something out there. There's something deeper. And he's trying to teach him and train him so he's able to move from that mindset of the desert to this larger world he's trying to train Luke in. And so there's this one scene where he trains Luke in something, and he's successful. He's successful. And Luke's like, oh my gosh, I've got it. And Ben's like, that's good. He says this, you've taken your first step in a larger world. And that's the text of our sermon today, a first step into a larger world. And Ben says this to Luke because, like I said, all Luke has known is life on a desert planet, hard work out in the middle of nowhere. And now he's been exposed to something greater and deeper than himself. And this sentiment, I think, is absolutely true of what it means to be a Christian. Remember last week, we mentioned that this world and its desires are passing away. And so if this world is passing away, then what's left after it's all gone? Only things that have eternal value. So we have something deeper, something greater than this transient world than the transient temptations and desires of this world. There's something deeper that can only, that, that the desires of this world can satisfy. And so as Christians, we live in the kingdom of God while at the same time living in the kingdoms of this world. Theologians have called this the already and the not yet. So when Christ comes, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. But we also realize that it hasn't yet fully manifested, and that's what the end of the Bible is about. The kingdom of God is here, 
It is inaugurated. Jesus has brought it, but it's not yet here in its fullness. So this causes tension for us, brothers and sisters, because life in the kingdom of God is based on what is eternal. And our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And what happens is we get caught away and caught up by desires and habits and practices that turn our focus away from that. And we turn them towards things that are passing away, thinking that they'll meet our needs on the deepest level. St. Augustine said, For wherever the human soul turns itself other than to you, to God, it is fixed in sorrows, even if it is fixed upon beautiful things external to you and external to itself which would nevertheless be nothing if they did not have their being from you. So St. Augustine is saying we find ourselves in sorrow when we turn our hearts, our souls, other to, some, to something other than, other than God. So what do we do then? Well, let's look how Jesus answered the Pharisees and the Sadducees who tried to test him, who tried to test him. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're political and religious parties within the Jewish religion, right? They're politicians and priests. And they're a little bit different from one another. They have different beliefs. I believe it's Josephus. He said that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead or in angels or in demons or in spirits, while the Pharisees did. Supposedly, the Sadducees disregarded the oral tradition that went along with uh, the Torah, that the Pharisees followed, right? The Pharisees valued this tradition as well as what Scripture of the Torah taught. And for the Sadducees, I believe, that, that they, for them, that the Torah, the five books of Moses, was the only thing that mattered. But the Pharisees saw oral tradition as being equally valid and passed down since Moses. So two different political parties, two different religious parties, very different makeup, of people, this is what Jesus is coming up against here. So the Sadducees, they disbelieved in spiritual things, and in the previous portion of the gospel reading, they, they, they try to trap Jesus with questions about the resurrection. And Jesus straight up tells them, you don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. He says, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And he calls their attention to what they valued most, the Torah the Pharisees believed in spiritual things and in oral tradition, and they're constantly debating finer points of doctrine, right? particularly how to be faithful to those traditions as well as to the Torah. So what Jesus is doing here when he's encountering the Pharisees and the Sadducees is he's renewing the importance of what is written. He brings them both back to the Scripture. He's reorienting their ethos around love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's reorienting your ethos around that rather than meticulous law-keeping. And then he's retraining them how to interpret the Torah in light of all of this. Right? So what Jesus is doing here is he's summarizing the entire law and the prophets into two commands. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, as we heard in the reading, on these two things hang the law and the prophets. So for us, as the church of Jesus Christ, a Christian philosopher named James Smith writes that the church is the place where God invites us to renew our loves 
to reorient our desires, and to retrain our appetites. The three R's. Church is not a social club. (laughs) Church is not Christian mingle. I know sometimes it gets treated that way. Church is not Christian mingle. Church isn't just a place where we come to meet people. Church isn't a place where we just come to see one another. I don't come to church because I haven't seen Shane enough during the week, and I'm not going to see him, so I've got to come to church so I can see how he's doing and, and, and say hello. Right? That's not why we come here. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Even though we come here for different reasons, that camaraderie is, should still be being built up among us and between us. St. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians that the church is the body of Christ. Not the YMCA, the body of Christ. So church is where renewal takes place. The three R's, renew, reorient, retrain. So renew. This means that every time we're here, we are making new again the work of Christ in our hearts. We're renewing. What God has done in our hearts is being strengthened when we come and worship corporately. And this renewal of our hearts, I think, is centered most of all on this, the Lord's table, the Eucharist. Then we come to church to be reoriented. This means that every time we gather, we're using obedience to the word of God to turn our hearts in the directions that they should go. And this direction is going to be contrary to how culture has been trying to shift it away from God. And I believe primarily this is the purpose of the preaching of Scripture, of the Word of God. Because the experiences of God's people in Scripture help us to keep our hearts pointed like a compass in the right direction, right? So we're renewed by the Eucharist, we're reoriented by the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, and obeying the Word of God. And then we're here to retrain. We have to relearn what we've learned over and over and over again. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Church can be repetitive. Has anybody ever felt like church got, is just repetitive? It's just the same thing over and over again? It can be. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Church can be repetitive even in a church that isn't structured or more traditional. Let me give you an example. I grew up in a very exuberant form of worship. Gospel music, choir, there was dancing, there was singing, it was loud, services were long, and it was exciting. But even that becomes repetitive. Even those experiences over and over and over again. You come to church, exuberance, 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 over and over and over again. So it's not just traditional worship that can be repetitive. It's other expressions of how church is played out, too. It can also be repetitive. And, so, and some of you are saying, Pastor Mike, your sermons are repetitive. <laughs> but repetition isn't necessarily a bad thing. We've come to equate repetition with boredom. We've come to equate repetition with ineffectiveness. But repetition is necessary. My brother plays the guitar, and I remember when he was a little kid and he first started, his guitar teacher told him, desire 
brings discipline, which brings delight. Desire, discipline, and delight. In other words, well, this is the purpose of the spiritual disciplines we learn from the church. This is the point of worship, why we come and we worship over and over and over again. Because we desire God. We then are disciplined in our worship. And then we experience delight as we move from an attendee to a participator. And we put this into practice not only when we gather here, but also when we gather at home in our own personal private devotions. This renewing, this reorienting, and this retraining of our loves, these three R's, this ridding ourselves of rival liturgies, this is called worship. And worship informs discipleship. And ultimately, that's what we're after, to make disciples. Smith again says, In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because in the divine encounter, God remakes and remolds us from the top down. We're not just here to praise God and to worship him and to show him that we mean it by being here. We don't just come here to obey God because God says to be here to worship. We don't come just to attend and just to show God that we mean it. That's not why we come to church. We come here because God is in the process of remaking us and remolding us into the image of his son. Into the, mess, into the image of his son. Our worship then, brothers and sisters, should be guided by the biblical story. And next week, sneak preview, we're going to discuss the three things that worship is supposed to do. But before we get there, we're going to conclude today with something else. So next week, a little preview. We're going to talk about three things that worship does. But we have to remember our worship is guided by the biblical story, and we'll get into that more. We just need to remember that, that our worship is shaped by Scripture and by Christian witness. And so biblical Christian worship is centered on two primary events in church. As we come to worship, as we come to be made into the image of Christ, all of our worship is centered on these two primary events. The first one is the preaching of the word of God. The second is the table, the Eucharist. We come here and center our worship around the word and the table, the word and sacrament. And this, brothers and sisters, was part of the mission. Today, you know, we commemorate the Reformation. This was the mission of the Reformers to return that idea that our consciences are held captive to the word of God. But we also unite around the table. And I think that's sort of what the Reformation was, was this effort to renew and to reorient and to retrain people. But we need to understand, brothers and sisters, why we are here, why we worship the way we do, and what we think that that worship is actually accomplishing in our hearts. 
to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and his all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion's Stone United Church of Christ. We're located in beautiful North Hampton, Pennsylvania, and we'd love for you to come worship with us. You can find us on the internet, www.zionsstoneucc.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC. God bless. Thanks for listening.